You are listening to the EFCA Theology Podcast, which exists to help pastors and church leaders stay passionate about the gospel and faithful to the scriptures. In the fall of 2018, Greg Scharf joined me to address pastoral ministry and preaching. Greg is uniquely qualified to address these topics, having served both as a pastor and professor. Greg has the title of Professor Emeritus of Homiletics at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, having served at TEDS in the Pastoral Theology Department from 1999 to 2018. Prior to his tenure at TEDS teaching pastors, Greg served as a pastor in the EFCA for almost 20 years. During this time as a pastor, he mentored interns from TEDS, and he also developed an elder training program for the church. I, thankfully, was one of those interns. In part one of this interview, we focus on pastoral ministry, models, training, preparation, and the role of seminary, joys and struggles, privileges and pains, needs, challenges, and temptations, faithfulness in life for a lifelong ministry. May you be encouraged in your calling as a pastor, sense both the gladness and gravity of the role, and may the Lord guide you as you listen and learn from one who has faithfully walked this journey. Well, welcome to the Theology Podcast today. Today I have uh, Greg Scharf, Professor Emeritus of Homiletics at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Uh, he has recently retired, which is the Emeritus status, but uh, Greg served at uh, Trinity for uh, uh, 19 years. Uh, prior to that, he had served uh, faithfully in pastoral ministry in a number of different places. And uh, we'll learn a little bit about this, but in one of those places, our lives uh, overlapped and intersected, and I've never been the same in a good way. Uh, and it's been a joy to uh, have uh, that friendship continue through the years. Amen. So, Greg, welcome. Thank you. Uh, I would like to uh, just do a series of questions in light of the fact that you've been engaged in not just pastoral ministry, but then the equipping of pastors for ministry. Just a number of different things as we carry this discussion back and forth. So the first question, who are those who had an influence on you regarding the church and pastoral ministry, and in what ways? I would probably be remiss if I didn't mention the pastors I had as a boy, even though they were not evangelicals. They were supportive. I was invited when I was a college student to uh, preach the uh, Sunday after Christmas in Mm -hmm. my home church, Mm -hmm. and I was taken to... uh, nursing homes to preach when I was in high school. And so they saw some kind of a nascent gift, perhaps even before my conversion, which I date from my second year of college. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm grateful for them. Mm -hmm. And then there were some uh, negative examples among Mm -hmm. pastors that helped clarify, I don't want to really be like that. There's got to be something better. Then, of course, at the uh, very high on the list would have to be John Stott, yeah. who was teaching for one whole quarter when we had quarters at hmm. Trinity yeah. during my uh, senior year there in the fall. So I got to know him, had a 15-minute appointment with him, and because of that and the Lord's leading, it opened up an opportunity for me to do an internship hmm. at All Souls Langham Place. After a year of that internship, they needed someone to work with university students. So I was there. I was available. They asked me to do that, and it turned out to be a further two and a half years. 
So I got to see uh, Uncle John, as we affectionately called him, yeah. in all kinds of settings. And I would have to say he was a, an onion kind of a guy, mm. that when you peeled away one layer, it was still onion, yeah. all the way down to the core. And that was, uh, that was great to see. Mm. Some years later, when I was asked a question not unlike what you asked me, who were the pastors that you mm -hmm. respect most highly, I was sort of shocked to realize it wasn't a, there wasn't a long list. Mm. So that helped me resolve to be one of those sorts of guys that uh, younger pastors could be uh, looking up to. Mm -hmm. It also uh, stirred me to put uh, 2 Timothy 2.2 2 yeah. into practice yeah. to find faithful men to whom I could entrust things that had been entrusted to me by yeah. other faithful men in this long chain that forms the leadership of the church. Yeah, yeah. I uh, find it a great privilege. Uh, of course, I did my internship with you, under you, and uh, uh, found it a great blessing. And so what you, what you learned uh, was perpetuated uh, with me, and I'm, I'm most grateful for that. Uh, what about the training? Uh, you know, one of the things is you, you, you make observations, you learn uh, along the way, but what about your path to and training for ministry and the various roles the Lord allowed you to have in the, in the context of a local church? Well, I was involved in uh, University Christian yeah. Fellowship as an undergraduate mm -hmm. at Rice University. The, the staff workers there encouraged me. I had the opportunity to do a doctoral study in neurophysiology at Duke, but he said, why don't you take a year and go to seminary and get some more equipping, training, mm -hmm. so that you could be more influential when you go on to do your Ph.D. in neurophysiology. Mm. I thought that sounded like a good idea. So I uh, enrolled at Trinity and then really never looked back mm. because I got so many of my tough theological questions answered yeah. there. Dr. Kotzer's class on the nature of Scripture yeah because I didn't go to a Christian college. I did take some religion courses. I had lots of questions, and he helped uh, me find very satisfying mm. answers. So I owe Trinity so much mm. as, a, as an MD student. And then um, after some time in the internship and then a curacy, a junior pastoral mm. position in the UK, we moved to Toronto, yeah. which I naively thought would be a halfway house between my American culture and my new wife's uh, British culture. It actually wasn't. It was, it was a different, but I learned a lot there. Mm -hmm. And I did have a lot of respect for Jay Glenn Owen, the mm -hmm. lead pastor there who had followed the doctor yeah. at Westminster Chapel. He was a lovely man, very helpful, very thoughtful, mm -hmm. very kind. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of what I viewed as a sort of second curacy, a second three-year stint, I felt it was right to consider where we should be next. We had two, two little boys by mm -hmm. that stage, yeah. and uh, a door opened at Salem Free Church in mm -hmm. Fargo, yeah. North Dakota. Mm -hmm. I committed to be there for 10 years. We had so much fun, we stayed for 19. Yeah. And during that time, I realized also I needed more training they graciously uh, released me for a couple of things. They released me for uh, to do a D-man at Trinity, but also to take a, a month of overseas ministry leave every second year. Mm -hmm. And uh, Chua Wee Hin, who was the head of IFES, yeah. 
advised me before we left London, he said, if you're ever in a position where you can write something like that into the call, we constantly need people with clean passports who can go behind mm -hmm. the Iron Curtain. So that was how that all started. Okay, yeah. And when I did that, I found that these Christians and these other places taught me far mm -hmm. more yeah. than I could ever teach them. Yeah. But it did provide an opportunity for me to take the consecutive exposition series yeah. of books, yeah. condense them into a week's worth of Bible studies, mm -hmm. sermons, for very hungry Christians, yeah. and share with them the kinds of things I had learned, and also try to model the handling of Scripture that I had been taught to value, yeah. and I have ever since tried to yeah. teach to other students. Yeah. That's helpful. Um, you know, continuing to move uh, through some of the things that we are uh, learning, and and uh, the, the, the question, in light of the pastoral ministry experiences you've had, what are some of the joys and some of the struggles you experienced in pastoral ministry through the years? Well, I think of what John wrote in, uh, in two of his short epistles. Yeah. I have no greater joy than this than to see my children walk yeah. in the truth. Yeah. It's great for me to see people like you, Greg, yeah. doing what you're doing. But there have been others as well. Yeah. So that's the greatest joy. Yeah. That's yeah. always the greatest joy yeah. to see uh, biological children and um, spiritual children yeah. and those who are not my spiritual children, but I've had to I put my oar in a little yeah. bit with them to see them walking according yeah. to the truth. Yeah. Uh, to see a church like Salem go from strength to strength probably healthier, probably larger. Well, it is larger. It's probably healthier now than it was in the days I was a uh, lead pastor there. So that's a great joy. Yeah. The kinds of things that are heartbreaking, of course, are when you see people who are not doing that. Yeah. It's the individual things like that hurt the worst. Yeah. People who've turned away, mm -hmm. whose love has grown cold, yeah. that kind of thing. There can be corporate disappointments but frankly, I, I don't put them in the sadness category mm. because of the undulation of the life of the church. Yeah. The Apostle Paul said that constant care for all the churches weighed on him. Yeah. So we know that from the very beginning of the church, that, that's normal. That's what we should expect, fallen people in this uh, organism, which is the body of Christ, yeah. If, if there weren't heresies, we wouldn't know yeah. who was on the side of the yeah. angels. So there have been those, but I, I think it's like, it's like parents and children. God gives us children of a certain kind because he knows what we can handle. Mm -hmm. I think God gave me churches that were healthy because mm -hmm. he knew what I could handle. Yeah. If there had been crushing sorts of... Um, brokenness, rifts, those kind of things, mm -hmm. it might have been too much for me. Mm -hmm. So he mercifully blessed me with wonderful churches yeah. to serve. Yeah. You know, I love Paul, Second Corinthians, where he, he reminds us that we do not lose heart. Yeah. In the midst of these things, momentary and light afflictions, we don't lose heart. And I think sometimes, Greg, when we, when we, um, when we consider the church, almost uh, the church mm -hmm. triumphant, when we are still the church militant, yes, um, it, it leads to not just discouragement, disappointment, which there's some of that there, mm -hmm. but there's also an ongoing hope. Um, 
and 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 then uh, one of the things that I learned over the years is my 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 job doesn't drop to the floor every time I learn something new of sin or or hurt or offense. Yeah. I'm always grieved. Yes. But not surprised. And so we do not lose heart. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Grief, but not surprised. Yeah. Um, after many years in pastoral ministry, Greg, uh, in a local church, local churches, you transitioned to the training of pastors in the context of the seminary. Yes. TEDS, our, our free church school. Why the transition? Well, it's an interesting story about God's leading. I, as I indicated, I think, said to the people of Salem, I'll be here for 10 years from my side. If you need to sack me before then, feel free. But I'm committing to 10 years because it was a new church, and I think that was a healthy mm-hmm. decision. We uh, had a good time there. We stayed for 19. During the last five years of that, I was on the board of regents mm, yeah. of Trinity. Mm-hmm. So I knew some things about that, and at one of the uh, gatherings, dinners, I sat next to Dr. Mike Bullmore, who was head of the then Mm -hmm. practical theology department at TEDS, and we got to talking about preaching and leadership, and that's how my name got on a list of uh, suspects. And as uh, time passed, he wrote to me, said, uh, would you consider this? And then I had to prayerfully do that, and as I did it, I wasn't sure that I could, as a leader, take Salem Free Church beyond Mm -hmm. what it had And I thought, if I said no to this process, in 10 years I might regret that. I might say, you missed what could be God's best. So I said, I will commit to the process. Mm -hmm. At that stage, there were about eight steps, hurdles you had to get through. And I said, I'll commit to the process. I doubt if I'll get through all eight of those. They're pretty rigorous. But I'll commit to the process. Well, lo and behold, all those doors opened. Mm, Then, of course, I had to decide, here were people I loved, a church I loved. I had to tell them that this had happened, so I did that. They were very gracious, and the Lord has provided for them and my uh, successor since then, one of whom was a member of our church whom I have a little role in discipling. He was an intern at the church, Glenn Stevens. So uh, that's a very happy story, and when I got to Trinity, I thought, well, I remember we had some work done on our back porch, and I said to the workman, do a good job on this, but it probably doesn't need to last for more than six years because I don't think I'll, I don't think I'll get tenure. Yeah. Well, fortunately, he did a better job than I asked him to do, and I did get tenure. I even was promoted. So uh, I think the Lord had a purpose for me being there, and he showed that by keeping me on the scene there for 19 years. Yeah. Uh, in that transition, uh, what did you miss about pastoral ministry? Well, I missed preaching every week yeah. to people uh, I knew and whose situation I knew, and the privilege of being in the Word at that depth every week. Yeah. The other one may surprise people. I miss the prayers of the people, including the children. Mm. Children's prayers who were just praying for their pastor. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, homeschooling families, and we had all three. We had homeschooling families and Christian school families because we co-sponsored a Christian school, and we had public school families like our own family. But the homeschooling families, I knew that on their agenda was to pray for the pastor. So I really missed that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
You've just, just retired, as we mentioned. You've got a life of ministry behind you, and, and thanks be to God, more ahead. But, but what are some of the unique joys, privileges, needs, challenges, and temptations of pastors and pastoral ministry today? And, and, and a follow-up, Greg, is are there different responses at the various stages of ministry? Say, for example, at the beginning stages of ministry, the middle section of ministry, the later years of ministry, and you have a unique advan- vantage point now to look at those things. So, you know, just, uh, in, in, again, the needs, joys, privileges, challenges, temptations, etc. Well, Greg, when you told me we would be sitting down for this chat on the podcast, I thought, what could I say? Because my work in the last few years had been primarily for those at the beginning of that yeah. arc. Mm-hmm. And I focused on them, and I want them to succeed. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. unlike Facebook. You know, LinkedIn has been described as Facebook for adults. Yeah. You know, it's that <laughs> kind of a thing. And I've been surprised how many of our TEDs grads are doing other things. Mm -hmm. They were in the MDF program. I expected them to get into a pastorate. I expected them to succeed. But for whatever reason, they are not. Mm -hmm. So it has caused me to reflect a little bit more. Why do some um, thrive in pastoral ministries and others do not? Some of the responsibility, of course, lies with the churches. Some of it lies with them Overall, we believe in the providence of God yeah. and that he guides and yeah. opens and closes doors. But in answer to a question like that that I thought about, I thought, you know, what I would say to a young pastor just beginning is read and reread the pastoral epistles mm-hmm. because they are, after all, a seasoned pastor, the yeah. apostle Paul, yeah. giving counsel to two younger yeah. pastors whom he knew pretty well yeah. and whose settings he knew. As I've been thinking about that over the recent days, I recall that Crete and Ephesus were really quite different. Yeah. And so Titus is somewhat different than First and Second Timothy, yeah. as are the two recipients of these letters. And yet because these are scripture, the Holy Spirit oversaw their production their inspiration, so we have both. So I would say to a young pastor, wait on the Lord to show you what your setting is like Mm -hmm. because the counsel I would give to you is not generic counsel. It can't be. But then I would ask, okay, what do those letters have in common? What they have in common is that they counsel appointing qualified elders. Because, as you and I know, because of the eldership training we were both involved in at, in Fargo, mm-hmm. you want whatever you do in the ministry, you want it to be a church that has qualified elders. So if the Lord takes you by death yeah. or if something less happy yeah. uh, happens, mm-hmm. that church is going to have the stability of biblically qualified, trained elders. Yeah. So that's one thing I would say. Yeah. Make that your priority. Yeah. Make it your priority to uh, work with the existing elders mm-hmm. and to constantly being, uh, be prayerfully discerning who are the yeah. emerging elders and equipping them. Yeah. I remember when uh, 
this finally dawned on me, and the way it dawned on me, I think you know the history there, I was always a member of the nominating committee there. And they would always say, well, who should we nominate yeah. for elders? Yeah. And I had a running list. I kept an old Franklin diary and oh, yeah. thing, and I had a list of possible elders. And I would ask them, because we had such fine elders there, mm-hmm. and they said, I can't do that. Yeah. And when I realized that this, was, this wasn't working, and frankly, I realized I was not thinking far enough yes. down the road. I was yeah. thinking, okay, I'm going to be here for 10 years. Yep. What I should have been thinking is, suppose God kept me here for my whole life and my kids stay here. What kind of church would I like to bequeath to them in 20, 30, 40, or 50 years? When I began asking that question, the question Mm. question I asked these guys changed. I then began to ask them, if we could devise a means of training you to be qualified to be an elder, and you made no commitment yet to serve, and the congregation made no commitment to... Mm -hmm appoint you or elect you, would you be willing? Instead of all saying no, they all said yes. So we had these desserts at our home where we invited prospective trainees with their wives Mm -hmm. to say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Over a two-year period, we're going to try to help you get the skills and the knowledge and grow in character so that if the congregation saw fit, they could say, yep, here's someone who could be an elder. And uh, a number committed to that. In fact, we had there, as you know, three platoons of between 15 and 20. And some people went through that more than once. And so that when I left there, and this is part of my call to Trinity, I could leave with a good conscience because there were at least 30 men who, if the congregation said, here's one we want to be an elder, they were ready. Yeah, they were ready. Mm -hmm. And so I think... That's one thing that I would absolutely say to a young pastor. But, of course, there's so much here for established pastors. Can I just run through a few? Please, please. So one of these would be uh, listen more than you talk. Mm. We preachers Mm. love to talk. Yeah, we do. So I'd say listen more than you talk so that people will tell you what's going on in their church. It's uh, God's church. But it was their church before it was your church. Try to banish that language. Don't talk about my church. Talk about the church God has called me to serve or the people God has entrusted to me. So listen to them and let them tell you what's going on. I always think of Jonah. When the sailors uh, were dealing with Jonah before they tossed him in the drink, the text says there, he had already told them that he was running from God. I think if we listen long enough, people like Jonah, they'll tell us what the problems are. So listen to them when you talk, and then prioritize prayer. First Timothy 2. First of all, prioritize prayer. Can't go wrong. Prioritizing prayer. And then later on, uh, watch your life and doctrine. Uh, some people tend to be people people, and some people tend to be truth people. Paul was both. Yes, yeah. He said, watch your life and your doctrine, yeah. and we have to do both. Yeah. Um, and then work on your own qualifications. In First Timothy 3 and in Titus 1, list the qualifications of elders. But remember, young pastor, older pastor, you are an elder, too. You are a teaching elder, by definition. The one skill qualification is aptitude to teach. And that's the aptitude you have to have to be a qualified pastor. 
So keep working on your own qualifications. What does it mean for you to be above reproach, husband of one wife, and all of those um, character qualities mm -hmm. and those track record qualities? I like the way uh, Paul David Tripp says we're all in the midst of our own sanctification. Mm -hmm. So, okay, young pastor, growing pastor, senior pastor, what am I doing today, this year, to grow in my own qualifications? So Paul could say to, to Timothy, let no one despise your youth. So young pastor, don't do anything that would make people despise you. You've got to be above reproach. But, as the old saw has it, there's no fool like an old fool. Yeah. <laughs> we who are more senior, mm -hmm. we need to be, as uh, Paul says there in Titus 2, you know, he speaks to the older man. They're to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. Well, uh, last year, I took that as my verse for the year hmm. because I'm in that category now. Yeah. I'm older. Yeah. I want to be these things. And then in 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul describes the church as the pillar and bulwark hmm. yeah. of the truth. Yeah. So I want to say to any pastor of any age, you need to have a sound ecclesiology. Yeah. If I was just starting out in a church, I'd probably start with Ephesians. Yeah. I would probably just expound Ephesians for the umpteenth time, yeah. inch by inch, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, taking it in chunks that were digestible. Mm -hmm. Units of thought, as those who've yeah. heard me teach preaching know, needs to be a unit of thought. Yeah. So a sound ecclesiology, and then I would, I would work through what what is a church supposed to be. I, I've often decried the fact that on candidating visits, ill-informed committees will often ask a young candidate, "What's your vision for this church?" Mm -hmm. I, I want to slap them both <laughs> and say, "Wait a minute! The brake pads on his car haven't even cooled off, and you are asking him right. what his vision for the church is." Right. It's okay to ask him. What do you think, in all humility, is God's vision for the global church? Yep. Ask him that. Yep. But you, the committee, the lay leaders, the elders, you probably have a feel for what slice of God's biblical mm -hmm. vision That's for the right. church, this expression of his fellowship, should manifest now. Okay, you can share that, yeah. but take your time. Go slowly. Help him learn you, yeah. church. Then I would say to myself and to all pastors, wean yourself from the love of money mm. and cultivate contentment. Yeah. Paul had to say that to Timothy. Mm -hmm. We need to say that to each other. It was a shock to me. Uh, there were some um, well-off folks at Salem. When I realized I loved money more than they did. Hmm. <laughs> they didn't love money. I did. Yeah. I didn't have a lot of it, but I loved it. Yeah. And I had to repent of that, and I still have to repent mm. of that. Trusting in money rather than trusting God. And then I was struck with Paul's description of a hard-working elder in 1 Timothy 5.17. Mm. I would say yeah. to all pastors, work hard so that people don't have to make excuses for you. They're proud of you. They understand that you work hard. We don't idolize work, mm. but we do work hard. And then 
we've already mentioned Second Timothy two two, but yeah. guard the gospel by entrusting it to other people. Yeah. That's how we make it safe. The gospel is not safe except in the cosmic sense in too few hands. Yeah. The story I tell, and you've heard me tell it because I've told it often. On one of these overseas ministry leaves, I was ministering in Romania. And there was a pastor there who had managed to escape under Ceausescu's regime. Yeah. And his library was about uh, 12 to 15 inches of books on a shelf. Yeah. But he valued it greatly. And they said, uh, and he escaped to London, and I was going back to London visiting my in-laws and family. Could you take these out? Mm. I said, I don't think so. I've been stopped at the border before. I think they'd be confiscated and be lost. I couldn't explain why I had all these Romanian books in my luggage. But in the providence of God, there was a choir there from London singing in that huge Baptist church in Oradia, and each person put one mm. little item yep. in their luggage. Mm. And when they got to the airport Gatwick, they reassembled the library, and it was delivered to the pastor. Mm. Even if one of them had been stopped, even if that had been confiscated, the bulk of the library would have gotten through. Yeah. And that's what can happen when yeah. we faithfully entrust the gospel to as many faithful people as we can find. Yeah. And they entrust it to others. Yeah. That's how the gospel gets yeah. through to the yeah. next generation. Uh, there's more here. Obviously, handle the word carefully. Obviously, preach the word. Obviously, expect God to speak through you because that's what you're doing. You are preaching the word. You're not making this up. You're just... A messenger. <laughs> when Paul said to uh, Timothy, "Bring the books and bring the parchments," yeah, yeah. you know he is an old man here. Yeah. He's in the slammer. Yeah. He is facing the gallows, and he's still reading. Yeah. <laughs> so I say, and I tell you this: you, your, your reading puts my reading to shame. But <laughs> be a reader. Yeah. Read deeply. Read widely. Keep reading. Yeah. And then in Titus three nine, mm. avoid foolish controversies. Mm. There are so many foolish things we can we can fight about. Avoid them. Yeah. Don't don't fight about stupid stuff. Yeah. And then I was struck by how in Titus three thirteen he talks about supplying the needs of those who were on their way with the gospel message. He says, Do your best to speed Zenus is a lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they like nothing. I think a church should constantly be commissioning and sending missionaries. One of the things I learned from John Stott was you need to have a fellowship. At All Souls, they called it the Philadelphian mm, yeah. fellowship, where God opens doors and no one can shut them. Yeah. He shuts them and no one can open them. So they had a, peop a group of people that met, I think, quarterly there. I said, that's a good idea. Yeah. So when we moved to uh, Toronto, we called it Isaiah 6-8, Jeremiah, send me. Yeah. We had a fellowship of people who prayed about the next step of obedience. Yeah. Yeah. When we moved to Fargo, you remember what we yeah. called it? We called it the International Harvester. Right. Yep. That was before International Harvester went bust. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but that's what we were recruiting. So we met every first Sunday of the month afternoon for tea at our house, and we had... Sometimes as few as five, as many as 25 yeah. people who, after a missions conference, you know, we had 
missions month mm -hmm. of November, because it was also when you went hunting in, yeah. in North Dakota, and we didn't want we didn't want to have one Sunday and miss some of those guys who right. were out chasing Bambi. So we had people who were being who were prayerfully considering the next step of yeah. obedience. Yeah. I think a healthy church should constantly be sending, yeah. and it keeps us from being too insular, yeah. too self absorbed. Yeah. And then in the 14th verse of uh, Titus 3, let your people devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. We can be uh, way too heavenly minded as churches. Mm -hmm. Got to keep our eye out for urgent need and meet, meet those needs. Yeah. Churches that are seen in the community as really caring for the downtrodden, mm -hmm. they're going to get gospel opportunities. Mm -hmm. The two go together. Yeah. They should go together. And then, in the bigger picture, don't neglect relationships with teammates. All of these letters are suffused with Paul's comments about his fellow workers. So he says at the end of that, verse 15 in Titus 3, All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Just interpersonal. The whole church is interpersonally rich. So... As I've thought about what I would share, I would just say read and reread and steep your yourself in the pastoral epistles yeah. and ask the Holy Spirit to highlight and underscore what you need to work on yeah. next. He'll do it. Wow. Uh, that's incredibly helpful, Greg. Um, we just received a, a course, a, a condensed course in pastoral theology. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of the EFCA Theology Podcast. You can find more episodes by searching EFCA Theology Podcast in any podcast app or on the web at efca.org slash podcast. Mm -hmm.